0: Good morning, I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Tuesday, it's February 27th, 14 degrees and some snow showers here in Old Town Park City reporting 22 degrees with uh, snow showers in the Hebrew Valley as well. On the phone with us from the APC Forecast Center meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning.
1: Leslie happy Tuesday to you what a difference uh, 24 hours can make in our weather we're really to that time of the year where we go through a roller coaster when it comes to Utah weather and we'll be holding on to a chance for snow showers in the Wasatch back through today roughly an 80 percent chance of snow with the best chance basically from now through around 2 3 o'clock this afternoon because as we move into the second half of the afternoon to tonight high pressure will start to work its way in but the winter weather advisory that we have for the Wasatch back that continues through 5 o'clock this afternoon as generally we could see an additional one to four inches on top of what we have already seen so if you're going to be traveling really at any point today especially for the morning commute and for the midday commute be prepared for some snowy and slushy conditions and some of those poor road conditions could even stick around through this evening just something to be mindful of we'll see a daytime high climb come and come in right around 20 degrees in park city and we should be in the mid-20s in heber so those temperatures won't be moving much from what we're seeing out there currently and with that northwesterly wind it's going to make it feel even colder and we could still see some wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour in park city with even stronger winds especially on the ridge lines if anybody's heading up to the mountains to enjoy the fresh powder that we have because both Park City Mountain and Deer Valley look like they've picked up more than six inches of snow since last night. So another snowy day for today with that chance gradually ending as we move into tonight. We'll check in with partly cloudy skies by the overnight hours with the overnight low falling to eight degrees in Park City. It's going to be a cold night tonight. We'll be breezy, just won't be quite as windy compared to what we're going to see out there today. With high pressure in place through the middle of the week, we're going to be looking at mostly sunny skies for both Wednesday and Thursday. And our temperatures will climb rather quickly. Tomorrow will almost be about 15 to 20 degrees warmer than what we find this afternoon. We'll be in the mid to upper 30s in the Wasatch back tomorrow. Then it's mostly clear skies on Wednesday night with the overnight low falling to 20 degrees. And then on Thursday, we could actually sneak into the mid 40s in Park City and potentially in the upper 40s in Heber thanks to our winds being out of the south. And then the roller coaster will come to its peak as we go into our Friday with another day in the low to mid 40s. But on Friday, we'll start to notice some of those changes as another system starts to approach from the west. We'll be looking at a chance of rain and snow in the Wasatch back on Friday with those daytime highs being above our seasonal averages. But between Saturday and Sunday, our next cold front moves in. On Saturday, that daytime high will come in at 39 degrees. But as that cold front moves in, it'll bring in a pretty good chance of snow showers. And we'll be looking at straight snow from Saturday night through our Sunday, with the daytime high coming back down to the 20s by Sunday, and a chance of snow even could linger into next week, with daytime highs in the mid 20s before we warm back again by the middle of next week. So we're kind of at the bottom of the roller coaster now. We'll start to climb back up for the second half of the week, all to come back tumbling down by this weekend. Leslie.
0: Okay, Thomas. Thank you. You're welcome. KPCW News. Time now, 8:09. And with a look in the backcountry, on the phone with us from the utah avalanche center we've got dave good morning dave
2: good morning leslie how are you doing well thanks yeah for today we're looking at an overall considerable avalanche danger um, particularly on upper elevation slopes where people are likely to trigger wind drifted snow avalanches near ridge lines and sensitive terrain features and then at mid elevations we're still holding on to um a persistent weak layer, which is small grained faceted crystals sitting above an ice crust on those east and southeast facing aspects. Um, the avalanche danger is moderate at all other mid-elevation slopes and low at the lowest elevations. Um, there were some reports of weak surface snow on northerly facing slopes prior to this storm. Um in those areas that remained intact um, through this last 24 hours of wind um, will be particularly sensitive to um, skiers and riders getting out on them.
0: And what can you tell us about the uh, the avalanche yesterday?
2: Yeah, we had a report of an avalanche yesterday, um, in Big Cottonwood Canyon on Little Water Peak, which is um, backcountry terrain, and it's just to uh, because it would be the the southwest of the Park City on um, ski area boundary. Um, and there was a close call with a group of four skiers um, that were involved in a wind drifted snow avalanche. Um one of those skiers um, was injured enough to require a helicopter evacuation from the state of Utah DPS. And the other three skiers were able to um, ski out of the terrain and back to the trailhead. And we have forecasters that are headed into that site today to see um, what they can find.
0: Okay. And you mentioned that was a soft slab because yeah, of the yeah, wind drifted so snow.
2: It was a soft slab, um, so softer snow, um, wind drifted snow that developed um, during yesterday's strong winds.
0: Okay, so we don't know what, wh- why he was injured. Was it or she? was a, a tree. Was it? Oh, we don't know yet.
2: Oh uh, yeah, we're not 100 percent certain on what the injuries were, other than that, um, that individual was um, partially buried, and um, suffered injuries.
0: Okay, well made it out alive. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Stay tuned. Coming up on the local news hour this morning, I'll be checking in with Summit County Clerk E first. A look ahead at the upcoming elections and caucuses and dates you need to know about. A Utah legislature update with KUER reporter Sean Higgins. It is the final week of the 45-day session and Park City Recreation Coordinator Spencer Matinee with details about how to participate in Saturday's Cardboard Derby or come watch. Taking a look at some local news now, a controversial proposed development at Kimball Junction would be phased in alongside UDOT's improvements to the junction. The developer recently told the Summit County KPCW's Connor Thomas has been following those talks with Dakota Pacific.
3: Dakota Pacific Real Estate owns about 50 undeveloped acres west of the Skullcandy headquarters. Its latest proposal for the land includes 695 units of housing, 240 of which, which would be for people earning 80% or less of Summit County's median income. The company is only allowed to build tech offices on the land right now, the equivalent of 24 more skull Candies plus parking under its current development agreement with the county. The Summit County Council's been hesitant to allow housing, in part because of traffic concerns. Council members gave Dakota Pacific a counter-proposal earlier this month. That included a request not to build housing until the Utah Department of Transportation commits to improving Kimball Junction's traffic flow. Dakota Pacific said last week it could wait until UDOT takes action, but it can't wait longer than six years to start building. The developer proposed a system of three milestones. The first is if the council adds housing to the development agreement. That milestone would greenlight senior care and medical facilities, plus all 240 affordable units. Dakota Pacific's Director of Commercial Development, Steve Borup, told council members that doesn't mean they can or would deliver all those units immediately. He says they need the right to build affordable housing to then apply for government tax credits that could finance it.
2: So we need that entitlement. If we have that entitlement on the development agreement signed, we can start that process and then hopefully deliver those earlier to the community.
3: The second milestone is getting Kimball Junction traffic improvements on UDOT's list of projects called the Strategic Transportation Improvement Program. The so-called STIP is a list of projects UDOT wants to complete in the next six years. Once the junction is on the STIP, Dakota Pacific suggests phasing in market rate units. The final 80 market rate units would phase in at the third milestone when road improvements are actually built. But the developer doesn't want to wait longer than 2029 to break ground on those final units, which CEO Mark Stanworth says are, quote, really valuable to the company.
2: We feel confident that we can get on the step. Otherwise, we wouldn't blow some sort of phasing plan like this. We're, We're confident that we can all collectively do that. We're also confident that once we're on the STIP, we're going to stay on the STIP and the construction will happen in a reasonable time frame.
3: The county and developer have both said they can lobby state leaders together to make that happen. But before Kimball Junction can be put on the STIP, UDOT needs to decide how it would address traffic. It was expected to choose one of three alternatives by the end of this year. UDOT announced it narrowed those options to two Monday afternoon. In the meantime, according to a traffic study commissioned by Dakota Pacific and vetted by Summit County's own consultants, backups will get worse with or without development. Connor Thomas, KPCW News.
0: Well, Utah's Democratic presidential primary election is set for March 5th, known across the country as Super Tuesday. On the phone with details on this and other election news, I have Summit County Clerk Eve first. Good morning, Eve. doing well so even though we really only hear about Joe Biden as a Democratic candidate for president there are four other candidates on the ballot so what a primary has to be held
4: that's correct and to do what Um, to just for the Democratic Party to decide who their candidate is going to be all right well basically is it
0: that the count for the electoral electoral votes
4: so the, these, these are the votes that will go to the, the party convention later in the summer. Um, and that's where the parties each pick their own candidates is, is at their party, at the national party conventions. And so each state has a certain number of votes they get um, based on, on how their votes go in their, in their primary, in the presidential primary.
0: All right. So who pays for this election? Is it the county's role?
4: Yes. So uh, the county will pay for this. There is reimbursement um, from the state for some things. Um, But yes, we we pay for it directly.
0: Hmm. Okay. So how will people vote in, in this primary?
4: So, um, in, uh, in the demo, it's a, it's a little different this year than it was four years ago. This year, the Democratic Party has decided to still do it through a ballot which the county is sending out. And so, if people are registered as Democrats or they requested a Democratic ballot, they should have gotten a ballot in the mail by now. Um, if people want to vote in the Republican primary, they're doing theirs through a caucus this year, not through a ballot um, that, that the county sends out. So um, their caucus will be the night of March 5th. and People will need to go to that caucus, which is held locally um, in each of the uh, school districts um, within the county and vote there for their candidate. And then, um, the, the Republican caucus is a closed caucus so you have to be Republican to be able to vote in that one the Democratic um, primary is an open primary um, so people who are not Democrats can still vote even if they didn't get about they just have to go and vote in person okay so
0: since the <clears throat> Republicans aren't having the primary then
4: anybody could vote in the Democratic primary if they so choose right mm. I think the anticipation is that Um, the that Republican uh, party members will vote in the presidential in their presidential Mm. caucus and that um, Democrats are unaffiliated or people who um, are members of other smaller parties but want to have a vote in the Democratic nominee would vote in the Democratic
0: so um, yeah so any idea why the Republicans decided to do it this way instead of a primary
4: Um, I don't have any, um, any direct knowledge. I'm, you know, it's, it's a really the primaries are more of a party function. It's to decide who the party candidate is going to be. Um, and so, uh, they made a decision to do it internally rather than, um, utilize the system that has been set up.
0: All right, so at this point, only two Republican candidates for president at this point, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley.
4: that, that I'm uh, mm-hmm. I you know it's funny because they're not on our ballot I haven't paid attention to who was registered those are the two I've heard about um, uh, I haven't heard about others
0: all right so as you mentioned uh, several thousand ballots have been mailed out for those who are registered as Democrat or asked to receive the Democratic primary ballot when do those have to be returned by
4: those have to be in a drop box by 8 p.m. on march 5th or if people are going to put them in the mail they need to have make sure they are postmarked no later than march 4th so the day before the election all right and we've got drop boxes in the
0: usual locations yes so
4: All right. The we- one that has changed last year um, that people may not be aware of they weren't um, voting um, in the municipal and district lit- lit- uh, municipal and district elections last year is the Jeremy Ranch Park and Ride that had there had been one at the Macy's at uh, at Jeremy Ranch and um, we when they did their remodel they no longer wanted to have our ballot box there so now we're over at the park and ride
0: okay so we've got uh, the Colville library the Park City City Hall uh, the market at Park City, there on Snow Creek Drive, Summit County Library in Camas, Oakley City Hall, uh, as you mentioned, the Park and Ride, uh, the I'm guessing the um, Kimball Junction Library.
4: Yep. And let's and see, also, and then we also have um, the, health, the health department at Quinn's Junction, there's a box there, and then both Francis uh, uh, City Hall and Hennifer Town Hall have. Um, uh, have boxes all right
0: um now if people did not get a ballot um and do want to vote they can just show up as well yes, Day of. exactly okay what, where does um, that happen
4: so uh, there's early voting happening on February 29th March 1st March 2nd and March 4th and um, Uh, there's early voting will be at the Richens building at Kimball Junction and that'll be between 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. on those days and it also there's also early voting available in Colville at the clerk's office and that'll be um, on uh, February 29th March 1st and March 3rd or sorry March 1st and March 4th between 8 and 4 p.m. And then we'll also have early voting at the clerk's office in Colville on Saturday, but that one will only be from 8 to 1.
0: Hmm. Okay.
4: Um, any
0: thought about uh, making those mail-in ballots uh, postage
4: paid anytime soon? Um, so they, if, you, if you do drop the ballot in without a stamp on it, um, we do pay that postage.
0: All right. So at least they do get delivered
4: correct. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, let's see. The as we've talked about, the state Republican Party um, is going through the caucus process, and just a, what a number of locations uh, that people should know about here.
4: Yes. Um, so, uh, if you're going to the Republican caucus, um, if you are in Snyderville or Park City your caucus location is the Ecker Hill Middle School. If you're in the North Summit School District, your caucus location is North Summit High School. And if you're in the South Summit School District, you're at South Summit High School. Um, and so just, you know, there there are some of those, you know, we often uh, have some folks who are new to the area who might get confused um, about what their uh, school district location Uh, which school district they go to if they don't have children. So that's a good thing to check on. All right. Um, And if somebody
0: wanted to vote in the presidential, uh, or to, to vote Republican, they actually, it's too late at this point, right?
4: So it's too late to change, it's too late to change your party from one party to another. So if you're registered Democrat, you can't change your affiliation and become Republican. If you're unaffiliated, you can still be affiliate with a Republican. I know in years past at the Republican caucus they have registered people to vote. Um, I'm not sure if they are doing that this year or not, um, but uh, that would be a worth a call to the to the Republican uh, county reps here.
0: Okay, um, and then the Democrats are also having caucuses on the fifth, even though that's the the end of the election? So why are they having both, a primary and a
4: caucus? So the caucuses are also a time in both parties to choose the local leadership for the next two years. And so what happens is people from the local community go get together with the folks from their precinct and decide on two representatives who are going to be their county. Uh, their their county party uh, representatives and then also two representatives to the state party. And those folks will go to those conventions, whether it's the county convention or the state convention, over the course of the next two years and will vote on things. And so, for instance, in this year where we have um, uh, races. Uh, in both parties, well, actually, sorry, we have races for um, local uh, county candidates, um, and there are more, and there's more than one person running. That first gets heard at the county um, uh, parties convention. the The delegates who are elected at the caucus will be the ones who vote on that, and depending on how they vote, there may or may not be a primary. Uh, in June on those on those races and then the same thing happens at the state level
0: okay Um let's see and then for the Democratic caucuses there's just three locations for these
4: where are those Co- correct so um, for if you're in the North Summit School District you're going to go to the North Summit Middle School if you're in the Park City School District so Snyderville Basin Park City you're going to go to the Park City High School and if you're in the South Summit School District you're going to go to the high school, the South Summit High School. Okay, and clerk's office happy to help?
0: Who do, who do they call?
4: Um, so yeah, we we will help as best as we can, um, but really your best bet is to contact your, your local party. Um, the Republican party has uh, a, a pretty up-to-date website for the county party, and then the Democratic Party, um, the state uh, Democratic Party website is is a good one to go to. And then alternatively, um, the chairs of those parties and those names are on both those sites.
0: Okay, okay. anything else you wanna mention?
4: Um, I would encourage folks to drop their ballots if they are going to be voting um, by, uh, a, in the Democratic primary, I encourage you to drop those ballots early um, so, and, and then go to your caucuses so that you make sure you get to do both if that's what you want to do.
0: Okay. Thank you, Eve. Thank you. Take care. Eve versus uh, Summit County Clerk. On the phone now with an update from the Utah State Legislature is KUL reporter Sean Higgins. Good morning, Sean.
5: Good morning, Leslie.
0: So taking your vitamins, you've got a big week ahead here.
5: Oh, my gosh, yes. Last week of the legislature, it's going to be full on until possibly midnight on Friday.
0: Okay. Um, anything you're hearing that must get done that hasn't been done?
5: Well, the, the number one thing that still needs to get done is the budget. That is the only constitutionally required task that the legislature has to accomplish every year. Uh, we got a preliminary budget that was released last Friday, so some uh, initial budget estimates there. Um, it looks like They're putting a little less money toward things like affordable housing, uh, homelessness than the governor was asking for in his proposed budget. But um, I was talking to Senate leadership yesterday and they said, there's still a lot of discussion left to go in the next four days, particularly with the governor's office on what he is looking for in the budget. So we should be seeing those final numbers late this week, Thursday, but I'm thinking probably Friday, we'll see that bill.
0: All right. So it's always so chaotic. I mean, why not just extend the the session, make it longer, and give people more time?
5: Because it's in the constitution, the state constitution would need to be amended. I think um, I don't know the exact language, but it, it is a, a forty five session, forty five day general session um, that is written into the state constitution. There is the ability to call special sessions um, later in the year to address issues. So. Um, I don't think they can actually extend the general session. They would need to call a special session later in the year.
0: Okay. What about limiting the number of bills that can actually be filed?
5: That is an interesting one. I haven't heard any talk of doing that specifically, but Senate President Stuart Adams said yesterday that they have uh, a more bills that have been filed this year than last year. And last year was a record bill re- record year with 575 bills passed. And he said he's not proud of that statistic. So um, he would like to see less work throughout, uh, throughout the session. But um, as far as actually changing how uh, bills get introduced, I haven't heard anything but just some tired lawmakers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are deadlines in terms of when uh, a bill could be filed.
5: Yes, yes. There are deadlines for when a legislator can open a bill file, uh, name a priority bill that would get seen uh, or heard, at least in the Rules Committee, sooner. Um, But yes, that Mm -hmm. date has passed. They did something yesterday in the House and Senate called clearing the board. Um, So they take everything off of the reading calendar and back to the Rules Committee, and they kind of reprioritize everything, because we are really coming down to the wire. And we'll see bills that... uh, not come back from the dead necessarily, but things we haven't heard about in a while will all of a sudden get voted on and things we were thinking gonna be addressed sooner might be pushed to the bottom of the list. And this is just kind of how it goes in this last week.
0: All right, so 575 last year, how many this year?
5: Oof, it's tough to say the exact number of what will be passed. I think we're, I I had that list open Mm. right now. We are at just under 600 house bills and 300 Senate bills right now, so quite a bit. So there's no guarantee that every one of those will pass. In fact, a lot of them have failed already, but that final number we won't really know until the end of the day on Friday.
0: Okay, let's talk about some of these uh, new stadiums uh, that are being considered both a baseball and hockey stadium.
5: Yeah, so there are two bills right now, HB 562 and SB 272 um one dealing with baseball and one dealing with hockey so the interesting thing here leslie is there's actually no guarantee that utah will get either of these teams um there's a concerted effort to get both major league baseball and the national hockey league franchise to salt lake city um but these bills would create a tax increase framework that would uh, supply just under $2 billion, so a $1 billion for each of these projects in public money, which is quite a astronomical amount of of public money to go toward what is essentially a private venture uh, a a professional sports team this isn't unprecedented many many municipalities around the country do this public private partnership and i mean the bottom line is pro sports are expensive these stadiums cost billions of dollars to construct i think uh the new football stadium in los angeles so sofi stadium cost just under six billion dollars to construct so um putting a billion into a new baseball stadium, I think the Larry H. Miller group is estimating that that whole complex would cost around $5 billion to to construct if a team came. Um, But like I said, there's no guarantee that either of these teams would come. I think the MLB and the NHL have said they have no active plans to expand right now. Um, But they're open to those conversations in the future, particularly with Utah almost guaranteed to get the Olympics in 2034. And I, I, I will say that there has been some concern, particularly from people off of the Wasatch Front, on why public money will be going toward these ventures that don't directly benefit people outside of the Salt Lake City area. I know um, there's uh, uh, that part of this tax structure that is in these bills would uh, increase things like the, the transient room tax throughout the state. Um, I know people in the Wasatch Back have been a little bit concerned about that. Certainly people in Washington County and Southern Utah have been a little concerned about that. Um, and, and lawmakers are really trying to smooth some of those concerns over. I talked to some people yesterday to get a little bit more of the specific on this bill, and it turns out that this TRT increase would not be triggered until and unless a franchise is awarded to Utah. And they're kind of expecting that to not happen Um, until three, four, five years from now, probably. So, um, and then that uh, tax increase would not be paid by the hoteliers themselves. It would be paid by the people renting those rooms. So the idea is that it would be visitors to the state um, helping pay for these teams and Utahns themselves. But it is to be seen how that would actually work.
0: Okay, so we don't need to work ourselves into a frenzy at this point.
5: That's what I'm hearing right now. I'm hearing that uh, a substitute for the baseball bill, HB 562, could be coming today. I've not seen language on that yet, but I would have to think given the concerns I'm hearing, the change does have to do with that transient room tax and maybe narrowing the scope on which counties would actually be seeing that increase.
0: Okay, Uh, Park City, as you know, has its own film production studio. HB 78 deals with motion picture incentives. Um, What would this do?
5: So this bill would essentially renew the program. Um, It's a two-year program right now. I I talked to some people last year about what this um, renewal would mean. It's about $85 million in film production were booked last year throughout the state. Um, Obviously, Utah kind of Became well known in the 90s and early 2000s with a lot of Disney Channel movies being filmed here. High School Musical was centered at East High School in Salt Lake City. And then recently Yellowstone was filmed in and around Park City for at least the first run of the show. So there is a big market for big budget Hollywood productions to come and film in Utah. Obviously, gorgeous landscapes. Um, I talked with the head of the Utah Film Association, and they said that the reason why Disney likes to to film so many uh, movies here in Utah is that down in the Salt Lake Valley, you can get any town USA in the suburbs of of Utah. Um, And uh, some news recently, Kevin Costner of Yellowstone fame is looking to build a 500-acre film studio in southern Utah to really supercharge some of the rural film production there. And a lot of the the targeted funding in this bill, this renewal of this program, is um, going to be funneled toward rural productions and and really looking to boost the economy there. So uh, 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 for example, a production like Yellowstone, which is set in in a rural setting, they have to go to these communities, these, these cast and crew, hundreds of people are spending money on hotels, on, on their dinners, their lunches, their breakfasts, all the catering, and that can really supercharge a local economy. So Utah lawmakers are really looking to ways to get more of those big budget productions into smaller communities in Utah to really grow those economies.
0: All right, uh, House Bill 303 basically um, is dead at this point.
5: Yes, this one started its life actually last session. So 2023, people were branding it um, our version of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. This would have banned pride flags, other political or religious imagery in schools. Um, This kind of goes back to this narrative that educators are pushing students toward political ideologies or beliefs. This one actually somewhat surprisingly failed in a very close vote last night. Um, I think there was some real concerns from teachers who felt like their hands would be really tied to just even speak openly because some of the language in this bill was like a teacher cannot challenge a student's political beliefs or or something like that. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a version of this comes back maybe next year, but at least as it is written right now, That bill is dead, it is not moving forward.
0: Okay, and now lawmakers also considering repealing their abortion clinic ban from last year, what, just due to some legal challenges or?
5: Yeah, so this one is really interesting. Utah lawmakers have really gone pedal to the metal in restricting abortion over the last couple of years, particularly since uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned two years ago uh they had the trigger law went into effect in 2022 that was challenged in the court it is currently enjoined so uh abortion is legal up to 18 weeks utah right now and then last year lawmakers pushed through a ban on abortion clinics operating in the state of utah that was also challenged by planned parenthood and is enjoined in court right now so abortion clinics can operate and what is interesting about this bill is this repeal is actually sponsored by the lawmaker who wrote the, tr- the clinic ban last year. This is Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby and Senator Dan McKay. And it's on, on the surface, it's a little confusing to think that a lawmaker who is so pro-life would want to essentially make abortion more accessible in the state of Utah. But when you consider their reasoning for this, with both the clinic ban and the trigger law in front of the Utah Supreme Court, and all indications is the court is not close at all to making a ruling on either of these cases. In the case of the trigger law, that's two years in, they're still considering it. Their calculus is that if they take the clinic ban off of their plate, they're more likely to rule on the trigger law earlier. And I would say, it, it's safe to assume that in a conservative state like you uh, that the majority of justices on the Utah Supreme Court probably hold pro-life, anti-abortion beliefs. And uh, they're confident that when the court does rule, that they will rule in favor of this trigger law. So they want to expedite that process is what this is.
0: Okay, um, House Bill 558. This is with uh, from Summit County uh, Republican Kara Birkeland. Uh, basically, this would be good news for Summit County and um, the way that transit room taxes could be used.
5: Yeah, this one is interesting because it does deal with that transit room tax, kind of like the, the baseball mm-hmm. and hockey bills do. This one would um, make it a little more tax friendly for people, but I, I'm really curious how this one will play out if and when this um, stadium bill does get passed because that deals with a trt increase so um, i'm wondering how the exact language will mesh together when these two bills do go into effect Um, but i mean for sure in the wasatch back a lot of A lot of uh, revenue is generated through these TRT, these resort sales taxes, for people coming into the community, spending their money, and then leaving. Um, So I know it's something certainly people in your neck of the woods are paying close attention to, Um, and this is one thing that um, I know Representative Birkeland has been very uh, reactive to some of her constituents who have concerns about this. I'm seeing that this is still in the rules committee right now. It hasn't had a committee hearing. That kind of tells me that the future of this one looks a little grim at the moment, just because there's only a few days left in the session. It does have to go through the entire process. Everything else on the legislature's plate right now, I'm not confident that this one will be coming law.
0: Hmm. And then what about our other bill, House Bill 539, basically to, to help keep public officials from dealing with threats against themselves or family?
5: Yeah, this one I think is um, kind of spurred by some of the rhetoric over the last um, few years where the, the the rhetoric has really gotten quite vicious uh, toward public officials and um, Essentially, I know um, some lawmakers have had to kind of keep their, where their family is staying private. I know Representative Birkeland has talked about how she needed to have uh, protection at her home for her family during some of these um, fraught discussions over some of her bills, particularly with um, transgender individuals here in Utah. This one is waiting to be heard in the senate right now it it made its way through the house pretty smooth sailing through the house passed unanimously through committee and only three voices um opposing it in the house all of which um actually it was bipartisan uh, opposition but only three votes Um, so this one is just really to protect personal information they're not saying that you can't contact these lawmakers but places like home addresses Um, Obviously, some people uh, may have malicious intent when they're trying to contact a lawmaker and having home addresses, things like that out there probably isn't the safest idea when we're talking about public officials.
0: Okay. Again, uh, this bill, the way that she's proposing to do it, would allow the Utah Division of Technology Services to contract um, with providers at taxpayers' expense to basically scrub the internet of personal identifying information um sean finally want to note that uh your colleague sage miller will be back with us on tuesday march 12th at eight thirty, with a recap of the session but we appreciate your great reporting so thanks and uh good luck
5: <laughs> leslie thank you so much it's been a pleasure and uh we'll hope to talk to you soon
0: okay sean higgins again KUR KU, politics and government reporter 846. Now, good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher. It's the KPCW Local News Hour. Just had a report that we've got a moose kind of just hanging out there at St. Mary's and State Route 224, not crossing the road at this point, but um, more than anything, kind of just people slowing down to kind of gawk at the moose on the side of the road. So be careful if you are in the area well Park City's eighth annual queer ski returns to Park City Mountain this week including a welcome dinner opera ski and free on snow clinics seven years ago local Joe Uranker and friends started Park City's first queer ski as a way to come together safely with the queer gay community to connect and share a love of winter sports
6: the queer community and the gay community has a kind of a long history of these destination events where when it wasn't safe to be yourself in your own community it was safer to go somewhere else to be somewhere where the stakes were lower.
0: While Utah isn't a place known for its acceptance of the gay community, he does note that at one time the majority of the Salt Lake City Council had the majority of queer members. And Park City, he says, is much more welcoming than some of the other parts of Utah.
6: Park City is a different place. I like to tell people we have a hippie heritage here. that has more of a heart and a character to it. And so um, I think as people burst that bubble and kind of take that leap of faith to come hang out with us at these events, they discover that we have more here. You know, we are more welcoming here.
0: A welcome dinner set for Wednesday evening. Tickets are $250 and available online. Tickets for Thursday's first tracks have been sold out. A base camp for participants will be set up at Midmountain Lodge on Wednesday and then moves over to the Tombstone Barbecue area Friday and Saturday with Opry Ski and DJs all three days. On Saturday, a pride parade of sorts will take off from the Lookout cabin located at Midmountain off the Orange Bubble Express at about 1 p.m.
6: We'll start at Lookout Cabin, but it will travel down Doc's Run. The term parade's a little misleading. It's it's like a big group ski. You know, we encourage people to dress up and, and pull those vintage onesies out of the closet, and we'll do a lap together. And then that will finish into a tea dance at the Umbrella Bar, which we've gotten a, a big sound system and a, one of the bigger DJs, and we're just going to have a, a fun party at the Canyons Village.
0: Uh, Link to purchase tickets to the dinner and to make reservations for the free ski and board clinics are online at kpcw.org. Well, Park City's second annual Cardboard Sled Derby will be held this Saturday, March 2nd at the Park City Sports Complex on the Ice Arena Hill. In the studio with details, I have Park City Recreation Coordinator Spencer
7: Manany. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So what is a cardboard sled derby?
7: You know, we really had inspiration last year of creating an event that got people outside, um, get some creative juices flowing and bring the community together to um, have an event where we enjoy competition and create some cardboard sleds to to, to race each other.
0: Okay, so how many sleds um, are you hoping to participate?
7: We are hoping for 60 this year, for 60 teams, and each sled can have up to four Um, for racers
0: okay so what do participants need to do Do they have to register
7: they have to register online and then create a cardboard sled with duct tape string twine and paint and we had a lot of creativity last year
0: okay Um, is it uh, I guess besides cardboard then other materials are allowed just to kind of keep it together
7: Yeah, there's a list of what you can and can't use. You know, you can't use metal or anything like that, but really just cardboard, duct tape, and uh, maybe some decorative items.
0: All right, so go to the recycle center for cardboard? Exactly. people get it? Okay. Any idea what makes a good sled design?
7: Yeah, I think there's a couple ways. I think looking at how the duct tape is positioned, how the front of the sled looks, Um, And I think it does take some research on the sledder's part, and so it really um, forces them to look and uh, be creative and, I don't know, find out what works.
0: Yeah, so is it, I I mean, are winners declared? Is that how it works?
7: We have a couple of different prizes. We have the furthest sled, we have um, the most creative, we have a judge's choice, and we even have the best wipeout to, to keep it fun and light
0: okay so it doesn't have to be fast it just maybe has to look good
7: exactly we want to see some creativity out there
0: all right um any safety features that are built into the slides
7: we do have every um, participant has to be wearing a helmet Um, after watching last year it probably wouldn't be a terrible idea to have some sort of cushion at the bottom so maybe a pillow Um, But, you know, we were able to avoid any uh, injuries last year, which was nice. Okay.
0: Now, do these sleds last longer than one run down the hill?
7: Yes. um, I would say most of them actually lasted the two allotted races. Um, I'm expecting some um, participants to have a very similar sled or recycled sled from last year and maybe just beefed up a little bit.
0: Mm, Okay. So uh, it starts when?
7: Uh, it starts this Saturday, we have check-in at 11 in the morning and I expect the event to go until about 2, 2.30.
0: Okay, so you're looking for participants, how many have signed up so far?
7: We have about 22 teams signed up um, and we're looking to kind of get where we were last year. We had a lot of excitement around the first one and so um, just again providing an off-mountain activity for families um, and people of all ages.
0: Alright, is there a cost to participate?
7: yep the cost per sled is thirty dollars
0: okay and then that just takes care of the prizes or
7: yep yep
0: all right so what are some of the prizes you've got
7: um we have some awesome medals for the teams um, and we're also looking for some donations from um, other community partners that we can give away as well
0: okay um any advice for the person who might be doing this for the first time
7: Yeah, I would say get creative, go all out. Um, If something doesn't work, we're here to have fun. We're here to show the true spirit of Park Park City and just have a really fun, creative community event.
0: All right, and then who are the judges?
7: The judges last year were a couple of people from our Recreation Advisory Board and City Council, and so I think we're still putting that together for this year.
0: Okay, Um, for you, what was the most memorable moment at last year's inaugural event?
7: I would say the most memorable moment was uh, being there to set up and having a group of six adults show up, set up a table, have a charcuterie board, have some drinks very early in the morning. And they had an incredible um, safari Jeep as a sled. Um, and it was just, it got us all excited for the rest of the day.
0: Okay. sounds like great group
7: yeah they, <laughs> they looked fun
0: okay spencer anything else people should know about
7: no we're, we're excited to see you around this saturday
0: okay parkcityrecreation.org and they'll find the, the exactly. event right on the web page
7: yep you'll find us there
0: okay spencer matinee thanks so much for your time thanks kpcw news time now eight fifty five. good morning well heber city could have a water feature installed outside city hall before this summer kpcw's
8: grace door has more on those plans Members of the Heber Leadership Academy shared their vision for a landscaping design to go around the fountain with the City Council Tuesday. Their pitch will complement the long-awaited splash pad the Council approved last May. The fountain will be built outside Heber City Hall. Here's Adam Thompson, a participant in the Leadership Academy.
2: It's going to be an area where you can have some events in um, and, and it fits your long-term plan or Envision Heber. So the walkable community of downtown, it connects all that.
8: The landscaping will include hanging flower pots, a nearby bench and stones and plants around the fountain. The group asked the city to spend 12 to $15,000 on its plan. In addition to the $100,000 the city is putting towards the fountain itself. Council member Mike Johnston complimented the design.
5: I really like it a lot. It's imperative that we landscape
7: this correctly. Otherwise we just have a nice water feature with a bunch of dirt.
8: Council members asked the group to try to negotiate with contractors to lower the cost and consider adding lights to the design. The Leadership Academy envisioned starting installation in late April with completion mid-May. That's when City Hall renovations will be finished and City leaders will rededicate the building. Grace Dorfler, KPCW News.
0: Heber Valley residents are invited to a public hearing with the Heber Valley Special Service District and the State Division of Health and Human Services today. Residents have long raised concerns about the odor at the wastewater water treatment plant near Midway. The Heber Valley SSD Advisory Committee met with Utah's Division of Health and Human Services about the problem. Now representatives from the state want to hear from locals. The Special Service District is hosting a public hearing tonight, 6 p.m., where residents can share their questions and concerns about the sewage plant with the uh, Department of health and human services state representatives will only be listening to members of the public not responding to questions there will also be an option to participate online the special service district says that a link will be posted on its website before the meeting and wasatch county residents living around the jordan reservoir are invited to a town hall tomorrow tomorrow's event will be the second listening town hall focused on wasatch county residents in hideout and other neighborhoods around the jordan area County Councilmember Luke Searle says it's an effort to help more residents learn about what's going on in the county and to share feedback with leaders about what they need.
1: We want to make sure that the people in all parts of our county feel heard.
0: Several entities, including Wasatch County School District, the Town of Hideout, and High Valley Transit will join the county for the town hall. Searle says the event is designed to make local government for Phil more accessible to the public.
2: We're there to listen. We're there to take all the questions and to see and prioritize what topics for the people are there.
0: He says local entities try to solve problems discussed at the town hall when they can. After the last Jordan area listening session in August of 2023, the county repaired some problematic potholes and discussed ideas to reduce traffic noise from semi-trucks. Searle says it's important to hear from residents as that region of the county grows. He says it can also help locals understand where their tax dollars go and how to get the services they need
2: if they have an explanation of why their taxes are going up and where where those monies are going I think that goes a long way and I think that we have an obligation to share that to all the taxpayers
0: the listening town hall again begins at four o'clock in the retreat at Jordan Mills Clubhouse in Camus. it'll last about one and a half hours members of the public are asked to RSVP online where there is also an option to attend virtually